0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So this week we are continuing our series on the book of Ephesians. Uh, We started this a few weeks ago. Actually, we're in week three. Um, If you missed week one, that was kind of an overview or an introduction of the series. We talked about the city of Ephesus. We talked about um, the church, the Ephesian church, what Paul was doing, all these kind of things. But what the book of Ephesians is, it's a letter written from Paul to this church in Ephesus, it was a church that he had started. So he was writing back to them and just giving them instructions. Um, he's not correcting anything. We see in other books of the Bible, like in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Paul's correcting some things that have gone wrong. But really, he's encouraging, he's blessing, he's encouraging them to be one in the body. And so there's some themes we th- see throughout Ephesians. But today, we're going to pick up in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. And what Paul is doing is he's making a very direct statement about who we are. He's, remember, he's writing to a church. And so he's assuming that they're believers. And, and what he's doing is he's making a statement about who they were before they knew Christ. And so he's making the statement that says, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. So because of our nature, we're born sinful into this world. Um, because of, that's just who we are, uh, where there's a separation between us and God. And we don't even recognize that because that's just how we live. That's just our normal life. But Paul identifies that when we look back at our old life, we can see that I was dead in my sin before I knew Christ, and now I'm alive in him. And so he's drawing this line and saying, at one point you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So he says, um, you were dead in your sin and trespasses, but this was something you walked in. So what he's saying when he uses this phrase you, that you walked in, he's saying this was just a normative part of your life. It was normal for you to be dead, basically. Um, and you didn't even recognize that you were dead. There was a... A guy, an author, there's a popular show on television now called The Walking Dead, uh, and I don't watch the show, but the guy who wrote the story originally, uh, he was asked about it, and he kind of offhandedly said, well, The Walking Dead, the title isn't about the zombies. The title is about the people who are alive, because the people aren't really even living. They're just trying to eke out a survival. They're just trying to survive. So they don't really have life. They're the walking dead. And it's interesting because um, in our old life, we were walking dead, but we didn't even recognize that. We were just breathing in and out. We were just surviving. And so what Paul is describing here is that that was a normal part of who we were, that we were just breathing in and out. We were just getting through life and that was all there was to it. Um, And so he's describing this and he goes on to say in verse three, let me stop there. Let me go back. It says, following the prince of the power of the air. And some of you might go, you know what? I, that sounds pretty direct. And when it's talking about the prince of the power of the air, it's talking about the devil. It's talking about Satan. Um, and you might say, you know what? Before I was a Christian, I wasn't a Satan worshiper, Mel. Uh, probably most of you were not. If you were, we can talk after church. But, uh, but you probably weren't a Satan worshiper, right? And you go, well, wait, that seems a bit much, but this is the thing. Have you ever been at a big concert or a big event where lots of people were present and, and it was time to leave and you weren't maybe exactly sure where to go, but you just followed the crowd? You're like, well, if everybody's going this way. I guess this is the right way to go, right? I'm like, okay, let's go. Um, somebody's at the front of the line. Did you know that? So at the end of the day, you're all following somebody. You just might not be able to see who we're following. And what this is saying is that that we're kind of going with society before we are Christians. We're going with the flow, if you want to say it that way. We're following the crowd someplace. And at the front of the line, someone is leading this thing. And what we don't recognize is when we're dead in our trespasses and we're going with the flow, the person at the front of the line is Satan. It's the enemy of our souls. So whether we understand this or not, we are following the prince of the power of the air. But we just don't recognize it. Uh, it's, the, there's not any halfway. We can't be kind of saved. Does, does that make sense? Well, I mean, yeah, I wasn't a Christian, but I mean, I was really good. I was a moral person. I didn't kill anybody, right? So yeah, I, was, I wasn't that bad. But at the end of the day, we're either... Team Jesus or we're not. Does that make sense? So at the end of the day, we have to understand that before we were following Christ, we were following the prince of the power of air. Um, And it says here, it describes us as um, the sons of disobedience. That spirit was at work in the sons of disobedience. Uh, Verse 3 says this, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, so he, he describes those that are dead in their sin, like we were, but then he, he makes sure that the believers understand, we were the same way. We weren't better than them, we were in the same boat they are, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So he makes it clear in this passage, um, we're not better than they are. We just happen to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, so we're redeemed. Um, we've taken on the righteousness of Christ, so we're not better than they are because we happen to be alive and they're dead in their sins. It's just we've, re- we've accepted the invitation of Christ to become alive. Um, I, love, I love IUP, um, and I know sometimes in our community IUP gets a bad rap and Uh, There are people that are unhappy about IUP and it brings problems, and honestly, it brings so much more good than it does problems, it's ridiculous, and I will take the problems because it brings a lot of good too. And one of the good things it brings is a ton of excellent, unbelievable students that we love, and some of them are sitting here today, but... um, I had an opportunity yesterday, uh, one of our ministry partners is part of our church, uh, FCA, and they invited me to speak at the IUP uh, football chapel yesterday. So yesterday morning, I'm, I'm over there and I'm speaking to the football players and uh, shared with them. And then I was invited to stand on the sideline during the game. I was just like, okay, cool. So I'm standing on the sideline and I know a couple of the players because they attend here, but really I don't know the guys. There's a whole bunch of guys. And... Um, I got home after the game, and uh, my oldest daughter, Abby, said, how was the game? And I said, it was good. I said, I've never heard so many F-words in my whole life. (laughs) Like, I heard it used in ways in sentence structures. I didn't even know you could use it that way. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. Um, And this isn't condemning. I wasn't angry. I didn't stand on the sidelines going, you men should know better. How dare you talk with F words? And Do you know why? Because it was normal. That's just who they are. It's okay. I'm not better than they are. I, I, even as a Christian, I might not use that language, but I probably say some pretty stupid things too, even right now. <laughs> Somebody met me in the back. They're like, that's right. You do say stupid things, Pastor Mal. Thank you. <laughs> So we can get all high and mighty and say, well, we would never act like that. I would never say that, but we may not say the F word, but we will gossip about somebody in our church, right? So it's easy for us to go, I can't believe they act like that. Do you know what they're acting like? People who are lost. Do you know what we used to act like? People who are lost. That's how lost people act. So it's, it's ridiculous for us to expect them to act like Christians when they're not Christians. So what we do is extend grace and love, and we just understand we were the same way before we were believers. Maybe we sinned differently than them, but we were still living in sin. Does that make sense to anybody? So instead of saying, I can't believe these kids talk like that, we should say, you know what? Praise God that we've got an opportunity to influence a campus. Praise God that we have an opportunity to love on kids who are going to make a difference in their world. And and that's what we have to do because what Paul's saying is we were all there at one point. We all lived like that. We were all under that influence. We were all going with the flow, living how we wanted to based on our feelings, based on what seemed right to us. And at the end of the day, thank God that we had an interaction with Jesus Christ that shifted us and changed our direction. Otherwise, we'd still be in the same boat they are. So it's easy to judge, but at the end of the day, that's not our job. Our job is to love. In Luke chapter 17, verse 33, it says... Whoever seeks to preserve, this is Jesus talking, he says, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. And what Jesus is saying, and I might do a series on this in 2017, Jesus talks about all this kind of upside down kingdom stuff where if you want to be the first, you have to be the last. If you want to gain your life, you have to lose your life. And this stuff doesn't make sense at times, but what Jesus is saying is, if you want to hold on to this life, you're going to end up losing it. Because this life at the end of the day, is really just about death. Remember what we just saw in Ephesians chapter 2? It says that, that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And what people try to hold on to many times is not even real life. It's death. That the things of this world, at the end of the day, they bring death instead of life. And what we try to do is just hang on to it. In fact, this word life here, it actually means breath. So in the literal translation, it says those who try to hold on to their breath will actually lose it. Um. A couple years ago, I was pretty new to the church, and there's a couple in our church that I love. Uh, They're retired pastors. Uh, Some of you know Wilbur and Violet Hostler. I love them so much, and they're so encouraging and such a blessing to me and the staff here. But um, they invited Kim and myself and my girls over for dinner one night, and. Uh, as you probably can guess, I enjoy eating, and so I was excited about the opportunity to eat food, and so we went to their house, and they fixed chicken and, you know, a nice meal, and um, I'm eating dinner, and we're talking, and has anybody ever had food go down the wrong pipe before? Yeah, you have? I have too. A very notable time at Wilbur and Violet's house. Um, so I'm eating. I guess you have to chew your food before you eat it. That was new to me. I didn't realize. <laughs> Who knew? Uh, <laughs> and so I, I'm, this piece of chicken just, it, it's wedged in there, right? It's not going anywhere. And so I'm trying to get my breath and my girls are sitting across the table and they go, Daddy, are you okay? And I responded and I went, <laughs> nothing was coming out. No air was going in, nothing. Couldn't get my breath. And uh, the girls start freaking out. And, uh, and Abby's, oh my gosh. And, um, and <laughs> my wife, uh, she leaps into action because she's a mama, so her first priority is I'm taking care of these girls even though my husband is dying in the chair next to me. <laughs> so this is her move. She's sitting in the chair next to me. I'm sitting here choking to death on a piece of chicken, and she reaches over and she does this move. She's patting me on the back as if she's burping at newborn baby. I'm trying to get myself the heim, like, whoa, whoa, like, whatever I need to do. I'm getting panicked because it felt like about 20 minutes. In reality, it was probably like a minute, but it was the longest minute of my life. I could not get any air. And it was funny because Wilbur and, Wilbert and Violet were sitting there next to me. Do you know what they did? Nothing. <laughs> they stared at me. They were just watching me. And I'm sure they were thinking, well, he's the pastor. If he dies, he's going to heaven, so. <laughs> right? longest minute of my life. The reason was I had no breath. I was desperate to get just a little bit of oxygen. I, I didn't have any. And, and what, what we see Jesus say here is that if you are desperate for this life, you're gonna lose it. If all you wanna do is just hang on to this breath and this life, you're missing the point because you're holding on to death. And it was funny, after that experience, I felt like God kind of spoke to me and said, are you as desperate for me as you were in that moment for oxygen? Because I would have done anything I needed to do at that second to get a little bit of breath. Obviously, I didn't die, so it worked out okay, right? Um, But in that moment, I was so desperate for oxygen. And the truth is, many of us live our lives that way. We're so desperate just to get ahead, just to get the newest car. When the the iPhone X was released, you don't even have the money for it, but you're gonna figure out a way to get it because you think that's gonna make your life better if you just get the new iPhone. What are we doing? We're grasping at straws. We're trying to make our lives better by just accumulating stuff. And what Christ says here is if you seek to preserve your life, you want to save your life, you want to accumulate life, you're going to lose it. But if you lay down your life, and not talking about literally dying, but laying down the things we love and the things we care about and saying, God, God, I want to take up the things you love and I'm going to lay down the things I love. He said, that's when you're going to find life. So the problem is, Paul describes a situation that's total death, but yet we hold on to it and cling to it with our kung fu grip, and we don't want to let it go no matter what. And what what God says to us and what Jesus says to us is, lay that down so you can pick up true life. So he describes death in this moment, uh, verses 1 through 3, and then then in verse 4 he says, but God. And what we see here in this sentence structure is that there's a turn. So he describes the situation. Here's who we are, here's where we're heading, but God. So it indicates there's a turn. And he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So what it says is, is even when we were dead in our sin and trespasses, when we were at our very worst, God loved us enough to send his son for us. That's pretty incredible. With my wife, I wanted to dress up for our dates. I wanted her to, I, I wanted to make her love me, right? Because it's hard. Look at this, right? If you remember what I looked like before the beard, there's a reason I'm covering this up with a beard, okay? So I had to make her love. I felt like it was my responsibility and that's the way we approach Christ sometimes. I've got to make him love me. I've got to dress myself up. I've got to clean myself up. I've got to make myself look better. But at the end of the day, he loves us in our death, in our sickness, in our disease, in our sin. He still laid down his life for us. He was rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. That's hard to believe, isn't it? That our very worst. He was so rich in mercy; and his great love compelled him to the cross for us. That's scandalous love that I can't begin to fathom or understand. He um, goes on in verse six to say this, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So what this describes is that we were dead in our sin. And then um, in Christ Jesus, God raised us from our death. So just in the same way that Christ was resurrected from the grave, we celebrate that, we were resurrected from death as well. And he didn't just resurrect us, but it says we were seated with Christ. Um, Does anybody remember elementary, junior high, high school, going to lunch in the cafeteria? anybody remember that? One of the dramas that's going on right now in my house is Emma's in the sixth grade now, and there was this big decision about who am I going to sit with in the cafeteria, right? It's a big deal. I mean, this can make or break you people. If you get at the wrong table with the uncool kids, holy cow, right? You want to sit with your friends. It's important where you're seated, And so this was a big pressure for her. She wanted to make sure she was seated where she wanted to be. And what this passage says to us is that we were raised up with Christ, and He and God seated us with Christ in heavenly places. So this is the good news for you. You get to sit with the cool kids in heaven. Does that make sense to anybody? You have been seated with Christ because who you're seated with matters. The, the, the literal word for seated here, the Greek, is to place together. So what God did is he placed us together with Christ. That's pretty cool. But then let's go back. If you were here last week... Um, you, you, remember, you should remember this passage. Last week, we talked about knowing three things. I won't walk through all those with you, but I'll mention those in this passage we're gonna read. Ephesians 1, verse 18 says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in heavenly places? Um, so remember, just a few verses earlier, a few lines earlier in this letter to the Ephesian church, Paul describes what God did in Christ. So, what did He do in Christ? Well, He raised Christ from the dead, and then He seated Christ next to Him in heaven. That is right hand. Now, if you know anything about right hand, even if you don't know the history, in your company that you work for, there's probably a boss and then there's a right hand man, right? Have you ever heard that phrase before, right hand man? Nobody has heard that phrase before? <laughs> Am I speaking in Spanish? What is going on here? Okay, we've all heard this phrase, right hand man, and this comes from this place. Um, when a kingdom was established, the, the king sat in the throne, and the person to his right was someone he would give authority to. In fact, if you read this um, literally, this word here that says seated at the right hand in heavenly places, it's a Greek word, it's katizo, and it means to set or to appoint or to confer a kingdom on. And so in a literal sense, what God did is he raised Christ from the dead, and he seated him next to him in his right hand, and he conferred the kingdom of heaven on Christ. So every bit of authority that God has, he has given to Jesus as his right-hand man. Now let's back up just a little bit and remember, where are we seated? With Christ. So we have to understand something. When we are seated with Christ, it's not just that we're sitting with the cool kids at the cool kids table. We literally are sitting in a place of authority and power so that when we are seated with Christ, every bit of authority he has, we have. Every bit of power he has, we have. Now again, there's a hierarchy. Does not mean we are equal with Christ at all. He allows us into that seat. But what we have to understand is that he has given us the authority to live the life that he wants us to live. Um, I worked at a church one time, and I had a lot of authority in the church. I was not the lead pastor, but I had a lot of authority. Um, But what happened is uh, I was authority over some of my pastor's family. So what would happen uh, is I would make a decision about something that maybe the pastor's family wasn't crazy about, and they would go to my pastor, and they would say, we don't like this. And then he would come to me and go, yeah, you can't do that anymore. And I knew it was because his family didn't like it. So what happened is I was given responsibility to do a job, but I wasn't given the authority to do the job. Does that make sense to anybody? Maybe you've been in a position like that. Hey, I need you to take care of this, but I'm not gonna actually give you the authority to take care of it. I just want you to do it, right? But this is what we see. Uh, Last week, we talked about how God wants to fill us so that we can fill the whole world. So what Jesus says is, um, go therefore in all the world, and make disciples, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. What he's saying is I'm giving you a responsibility. I need you to go make disciples everywhere on planet earth. Fill up the globe. But then he says, I'm gonna give you the authority to do the job too. I'm going to give you the power to do what you need to do. See, many of us live our lives in a way that is substandard. Um, We don't live our lives with authority and power. We live our lives as victims. And I guess, well, this is just the way my life is. And I guess this is always going to be this way. But what we have to understand is uh, that we are not victims. We are children of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. And that comes with authority because we're seated with Christ. So in a very practical way, you have to understand that you are no longer a victim. You're a child of God, that you're a a co-heir with Jesus, that you have the authority and the power of God on your behalf, on your side to do what God's calling you to do. And God has got a calling on each of our lives. It's not just on my life as a pastor of a church, as a vocational minister, but it's on each of us. And if if you are a believer in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus today, you have a calling on your life to be filled with his spirit and to fill the world. And he's giving you the power to do that. He's not just asking you to do something. He's empowering you to do something. So the question is, why would would God do such a thing, right? Because wouldn't it be easier just to think of our salvation as a way to get to heaven and that would be it? Well, God saved me, so I get to go to heaven. But that's not just what it's about. Um, He's given us power. He's given us authority to, to reach the world. But why would he do that? Why would he empower us? Why would he equip us? Why would he give us access to that? And the answer is found in Ephesians 2, 7, the very next verse. It says, so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. See, God wants to put himself on display. And he wants to use you as the primary means to do that. He wants the world to see how incredibly good and kind he is with your life. He wants the world to recognize it in you. People to go, oh my gosh, there's just something about this person. And I mean this in all seriousness and I don't mean this as a like, yay me thing. Um, I, <laughs> I endeavor to, to bless every single person I come into contact with in my day. If I'm going through a drive through at a restaurant, I wanna take, if I've got one minute to talk to this person, I wanna bless them. I wanna encourage them. I want their day to be better because if I ever see them again, I want them to recognize, oh hey, there's that guy. If they ever happen to walk into our church, I want them to go, oh my gosh, that was the guy. I don't want them to go, oh, that was the guy, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Emma had a birthday party this last week she had to go to, and so we went to TJ Maxx to pick something up, and so we walked through the line, and I'm up front, I'm engaging the girl, I'm just talking to her, how's your day? And she said, it's good, and I said, what's the best part, what's the best thing that's happened in your day today? And so we're just talking, and she stopped and she said... Are you Pastor Mel? Oh, maybe? Anyway, I was like, yeah. And she said, oh, yeah, I come to your church sometimes. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's awesome. And so we talked for a few minutes, and we walked out, and I said, Emma, that's why you're nice to everybody we come into contact with in town, right? Because you don't even know who goes to our church. Sometimes they don't even know that they go to my church. So... uh, well, what's the point? We we bless everywhere we go, we engage. We want to share the love of Christ with everyone we come into contact with. And that does not mean that we get up at TJ Maxx and start preaching the gospel. And what that means is we share the gospel with our lives, every person we come into contact with. We encourage them and bless them and reflect the love of Christ through our lives. It's not about them seeing me, it's about them seeing Christ in me. That's what God's calling us to. That's what God wants us to do. That's why he empowers us so that we can do what he's asking us to do in the world we live in today. Verse 8 says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's a gift from God, not a result of works, so no one may boast. And so what Paul says here is we're saved by grace through faith. So understand, it's by grace. It's the grace of God that saves us. It is not anything we do. I can't make myself good enough. I can't go to church enough. I can't hear enough messages. I can't sing enough worship songs to save me. It's by the grace of God. It's my faith that that is um, accepting an invitation. That's what my faith does. It accepts the invitation of Christ. But it's the grace of God that allows me to be saved. Um. It says, it's not our work so that no one may boast. The truth is, we're prideful people. And we love to keep score. And we love to compare. And this is dangerous. See, in the the ancient Jewish times, they kept track of all their sins, all the do's and don'ts. And they would keep score, literally, against each other. And we don't do that today, but we still kind of do if we're not careful. Our hearts can become prideful. And we can see somebody in church, and we'll go, oh, well. See the way they're worshiping? I worship more than that. They've only got their hand raised to here. I raise my hand all the way. <laughs> and you're laughing, but it's easy to do. Well, I come to all the events, and they only come to some of the events. Okay. Well, they only come once a month. I, it's easy to start comparing. And what, what Paul says in the Ephesian churches, don't compare because none of your work is worth anything at the end of the day. Your work doesn't save you. If you did, or if it did, you would boast about it. We, we would brag about it. Oh, well, I'm more saved than you. I'm going to get to sit in a good section of heaven. I'm going to be up front, center, center stage, in front of what's going on. But you, you're going to be in the cheap seats. And we'd absolutely do that. But Paul makes it really clear. At the end of the day, we can't take, take credit for any of it. In fact, he says it's by grace. It's by grace. We don't have time to really walk through grace and what that means and what that really is today. There's a member of our church, his name's Bob Santos. Uh, he's an author, he's written several books. He's a ministry partner of ours. And He's been a member of our church for 30 years plus maybe. Uh, but Bob's fantastic. He wrote a book called The Divine Progression of Grace. I believe we've got that out in our resource center. If you wanna read more about the topic of grace, it is a great resource for that. Uh, and it is exhaustive, it's in-depth. Uh, but it is a great look at grace. But let me read a definition, uh, some definitions to you from different Uh, theologians through the years um B.B. Warfield said grace is free sovereign favor to the ill deserving Paul Zoll said grace is unconditional love toward a person who does not deserve it John Stott said "Uh, grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues Jerry Bridges said grace is God reaching downward to people who are in rebellion against him I had a a teacher when I was in Bible college. so when I went to my freshman year of college, I went to a state school at a scholarship. So I got a year of my school paid for. So I went to a state school for a year and at the state school, they don't care if you go to class or not. And I'm sure it's like this at IUP, but they're, they're like, you paid for this class. If you don't wanna show up, we don't care. As long as the check clears, we're good, right? Like we'll tell you when the tests are uh, and you show up for the tests if you want. And so I did that my first year of college, fantastic. No problems, never went to class and I took all my tests and did, did well. Um, so I transferred to Bible college then and they didn't feel the same way. They wanted you to go to class all the time, which was like, wait a second. That's weird. You want me to be in class? So, um, it was a little bit of an adjustment, but I found a professor. His name was Dr. Gene Brown, who I love dearly. He was a great man of God and he has since gone on to be with the Lord. Um, but he did not take attendance in his class. So I took Dr. Brown for every class I possibly could. Um, uh, and so I knew he's not going to take attendance. So, uh, my senior year, uh, Toward the end of the semester, um, Dr. Brown walks up to me. And I, I knew him well. Uh, it was a small school. I had a good relationship with his daughter. We were friends. And he walks up to me. And this was a military veteran. He had been a chaplain for 25 years. And um, this gruff, voice, big, hulking man, he walks up to me. and he says, Mr. Massingale. Said, yes, sir. How are you doing, Dr. Brown? He said, uh, I failed to tell you at the beginning of the semester, but the school has required me to start keeping attendance in my class. I said, well, what was that? (laughs) He said, I I should have told you at the beginning of class, but it should be understood that you're expected to be there. And he said, do you know what my attendance policy is, what the attendance policy is for the school? And I said, no, I don't. I assume I was supposed to be there more than I was because I'd been in the class about five times for the semester. And I did great. I was doing well, excelling. And uh, he said, well, um," and he told me the policy, it's after every absence over the excuse and drops you a letter grade. And he said, do you know what your grade is in my class right now? I said, no, sir, I don't. He said, right now it's an A. Do you know what I should, what I'm supposed to give you? I said, no, sir, I don't. He said, an F. He said, how about if we compromise? I said, I like compromises a lot. <laughs> I can get behind that, right? At that point honestly I didn't care if he gave me a D. It was like I just need to pass. I just need to get through this. I don't want to have to make up this course. And he said how about if I give you a B? And I was like, "You know what? You are I love you." And I just hugged him and you know. Uh, but it was like, "Oh my gosh." So in that moment what happened is this man he said, "Here's what the law says and here's where you stack up compared to the law. You fall short. But I know you. I know your heart. Um, I know what you're about." And so I'm gonna make a way for you not to pay the price that the law demands. Does that sound familiar to anybody? See, in that moment, Gene Brown extended grace to me. I didn't deserve it because the law demanded that I flunk the class, right? The rules said I flunked based on my attendance. And it wasn't because they were out to get me. It's because my own actions dictated that I was in that position. But Dr. Brown said, no, 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 no. I'm gonna extend grace to you. And that's what Christ does for us. Christ says, you know what, the law demands death based on your actions, based on your nature, based on who you are, but I'm going to make a way for you to work outside the law, for you to receive grace when you don't deserve it. And in a very real sense, that's what grace is, that we don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve abundant life in Christ. We don't deserve to be seated with Christ, but the grace of God allows us to be there. Uh, I love this passage in Romans chapter 5. Uh, I think Pastor Todd referenced it in c- the last time we did communion or received communion together. Uh, but it's in Romans 5 verse 6 it says, for while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to, even to die. Uh, what, so what he's saying is people don't want to lay down their lives for other people but maybe for a really, really good person you would. But we were not really good people, but it said God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, it's one thing for me to say, um, man, I love you, and I do. I, every weekend, I tell you guys I love you and I mean it. I, I sincerely love you. Uh, as an individual, as this church, I love you. <laughs> but what I lay down my life for you, I don't know. <laughs> you know who I definitely would lay down my life for? these two girls in a second yeah yeah I would lay down my life for either one of them yeah I would I had to think about it but yes <laughs> my wife I would lay down my life for them wouldn't even be close because that's the kind of love I have for them now, now what about the guy on death row the guy that's guilty of multiple homicides the, the guy that's guilty of raping children not a chance wouldn't even happen. But you know what Christ does? This is how scandalous his love is. In the eyes of the law, we were just as guilty as that guy on death row. And Christ said, I love them so much, I'm willing to lay down my life for them. That's a love that we can't fathom or understand. That's a scandalous love. That's the love with which he loved us. That's the grace of God at work in our lives, that we don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to merit it. It is just God being incredibly good. Verse 10 says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Um, Scripture says we're the image bearers of God. Um, I like to make things, and I'm not... I really am better at repurposing things than making things. Um, I like to take a piece of old furniture and clean it up and refinish it and make it make it usable again. Uh, and so there's some things I'm proud of. Um, there's a there's a if you if you're curious you can I, I got an old bench or an old bar stool for free and I roughed up the legs and I refinished the top and I was proud of it. It was sitting in my office and Todd was like I need a stool for the piano and I was like well. Good luck finding one. He was like, well, can I use that one? I was like, yes, but don't lose it. I want it back. Why? Because it's mine. Is it beautiful? Well, to me it is. It's not the best thing in the world. It's just an old stool, right? But I made it, so I'm proud of it. Uh, it's got a little bit of me imprinted on it. Does that make sense? My girls are awesome. I love my girls. I've talked about them some today. But um, my girls, it's funny, um, And if you've got kids, you understand this. There are times your kids will do something and you're proud and you're like, oh my gosh, they acted just like me. And then there are times they do something and you're like, oh my gosh, they act like me. Right? Uh, So so Emma is not as sarcastic. She's got a little tiny bit in her, but not much. She's pretty innocent. Uh, Abby, on the other hand, is pretty sarcastic and I'm not sure where she gets it from. So her mother... So sarcasm, I think it's a useful tool. It can get you into trouble though, unfortunately. And so there's times my daughter will be sarcastic and I'll be like, oh my gosh, that's me. Like, that's me, she got it from me. And then the other side too, where I'll go, oh my gosh, I can't believe she said that, right? But I still recognize it's me. There's something rewarding though about seeing your kids point out their resemblances to you. And my girls do this sometimes. They'll say, Dad, hey, Dad, we got the same eyes. Yeah, we do. What they're saying is, I got my eyes from you, right? Hey, hey, hey Dad, you know, our cheekbones are kind of the same. Or, hey, Dad, it's funny how you laugh at that and I laugh at that. We've got a similar sense of humor. Yeah, it is funny. Emma, when she was younger, she'd say things like, Dad, did you know um, Mom and Abby both like sugar cookies, but we both like chocolate chip? <laughs> right? What are they doing? They're pointing out their similarities. They're bringing that out. And because they are my image bearers, it brings pride to me. It brings joy to me. I delight in that to see how I've imprinted on them. When they make wise choices and they do things to, to bring glory to God, I love seeing that. When Abby came back from a mission trip to New York, <laughs> And my girls are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I can tell you about all the imperfect things later if you'd like, but uh, they're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But when my girls, my daughter came back from our mission trip to New York, some of the adults that were on the trip just said, Mel, what a great girl, and you guys have done a great job, right? Man, it just felt good that they get it, that the values we have, they share many times. And I think in the same way as image bearers of God, I think God delights in us when we get it, when we say, hey, hey Dad, hey, Dad, um, you know how you love the lost people? I, I love lost people, too. Hey, hey, Dad, hey, Dad, you see the marginalized people in this world, the people that are forgotten about, that you love and you care about? I, I love and care about them, too. Hey, Dad, the way you served us by sending your son, I, I love serving others, too, I think God delights in that when his image bearers, his handiwork, his craftsmanship reflect him. And it's just as proud as I am of some silly bar stool. How much more pride do you think our God has in us as his creation, as his handiwork, when we reflect his love and mercy and grace, when we take on his values, when we begin aligning ourselves with him and reflecting how good he is? And in the same way, again, it, there's a passage in Matthew 5.16 that says, Let your light so shine before men that men may see that and bring glory to your Father in heaven. So what it's saying is, live your life out in such a way that people will go, hey, hey God, man, you did something right with them. Does that make sense? That the glory doesn't terminate on us, that it terminates on God. But that only happens when we say, hey God. I want to live my life according to your precepts and principles. I want my life to come into alignment with yours. I want to utilize that power that I have by being seated with Christ. I want to live out my life in a way that I can influence the world for your glory. Because at the end of the day, that's what this is all about. Let's pray together. God, we love you. And um, I'm continually in awe of your scandalous love for us, your unbelievable love for us. I'm thankful um, that you were willing to send your son to die for people who did not deserve it. People who were far from you. But you chose us. And we accept your calling. And we accept your invitation today. God, I pray for the people that are here today that have not made that decision. That have, they have never accepted you. Never made you Lord of their life. They have never... Lord, have their, their life changed, Lord. They still maybe are trying to hang on to death and the things of this world. God, I pray today you would help us let go of those things and embrace life in you. And God, I pray that you would just um, shift us and change us for your glory. Soften our hearts. Let us respond to your Holy Spirit today. Just be with us. With your head bowed and your eyes closed if you're here today and you say, Mel, you know what, that's me. I'm not walking with the Lord. And what you described is me. My life is not really life, it's death. And I want to experience life in Christ. I want to lay down my life to take up the abundant life that Christ has. Um, I'm not going to embarrass you or shame you or anything like that. I just want to pray with you right where you're at. So if you're here today and you say to me, Mel, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to accept the invitation and accept the free gift of grace that God wants to give today. I don't want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Would you be bold enough just to put your hand up real high where I can see it? Then you can put it right back down. Thank you over here on my right. Praise God. Thanks. Up in the balcony. Two, three hands up there. Thank you. Four hands. Yeah, I saw you. Praise the Lord. Over here on my left, I see you, sir. Another hand on my left. Yeah, thank you, ma'am. Two hands over here. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. Yeah, I see you, sir, over here on my left. You can put your hand down. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Anyone else? Just a few more seconds. You want to join these? Yeah, ma'am, I see you over here on my, I'm on my right. You can put your hand down. Praise God. Well, Whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to pray this really simple prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me thank you for saving me by paying the price for my sins by dying on the cross thank you for saving me when I didn't deserve it when I was far from you and when I was an enemy to the cross today I receive your grace and I receive new life today I'm laying down all my old life and I'm picking up new life in you Help me live a life that brings glory to you. And help me never go back to my old ways or my old life. Today, I'm yours. And today, you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. You know what? This house is full of new life today. And, um, When you bring a baby home from the hospital, it can be terrifying, but it also brings life into that place. It brings energy into that place. And I'm telling you today, there are people here who made the decision to to allow Christ to be their Lord and Savior. And I'm telling you, it brings life. It doesn't mean your life is going to be perfect. Uh, It doesn't mean your circumstances will change. What it means is you're going to walk through your circumstances with Christ, that you're not in this alone. We're here to help you as well. We want to help you grow in your faith And one of the best ways. To help us do that is by filling this card out. It's in the seat back in front of you. And on one side, it says need prayer. On the other side, it says salvation. So if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, please fill this card out and drop into one of our offering boxes before you leave today. Let us know about your decision. and Let us help you take the next step in your faith journey. If you can't reach one of these cards, or maybe you're watching online and you'd like to respond, simply text the word SALVATION to the number 555-888. And when you do that, we're going to respond back to you and help you take the next step in your faith journey. We want to help you grow in your faith and become everything that God wants you to be. So again, thank you for responding today. I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited to see what God's going to do in your life. Here's what's going to happen now. Uh, we're going to sing one more song together. We're going to worship God and respond to what he's doing in this place and what he's doing in our hearts. And while we're doing that, our prayer team is going to come up, and they'll be on either side of the stage. So we'll have a team over here, a team over here. And if you need prayer for any reason at all, step out from your seat, find one of our prayer team members, and let them pray with you as we are finishing up today. And then in just a moment, we're going to finish singing, and then Pastor Todd Stanley is going to close us out and dismiss us. So if you would, stand your feet all over this room. We're going to worship together one more time, and then uh, we'll be dismissed. Uh, Don't forget, if you want to stick around for Discover Lunch, feel free to do that. That'll be upstairs in our youth room following our worship experience today. But guys, I love you more than you know. I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. (laughs) I only do this in 11 o'clock. I must love you guys more. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day.